One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. Open the pod bay doors. I'm sorry, Dan. I'm afraid I can't do that. What's the most you ever lost in the contest? Go ahead. Make my day. Welcome to the first official podcast of Black Hole Cinema with me, Tony Black. Now, to explain, there is a slight disconnect between this podcast and future podcasts in that the original podcast project that I undertook was involving not just film, but TV, entertainment, my own life, various different things. But as time when I'm doing these podcasts, it became more clear to me that the area I enjoyed talking about the most was film, and the area that I'm most interested in is film. So the whole idea of the podcast has subsequently changed and has morphed into black hole cinema. So this first podcast, unfortunately, this is the bad news, unfortunately, apart from this little introduction and perhaps a little conclusion, won't be giving you anything new. If you listen to the original black hole show, then you will have heard what's coming up on this podcast, which is re-reviews, if you like, of 12 Years a Slave and American Hustle and my predictions for the Oscar nominations, which is something that I intend to follow up. All of the other Black Hole podcasts have now gone. This is a new start, and I didn't want to lose the reviews that had been done before of these films. So the first episode is a repackage, effectively, of what you've heard before. And the next episode, the second episode, will be the first new package of Black Hole Cinema of what's going to happen. But for now, let's get straight into it. Enjoy episode one. Today, I purchased a Cineworld card once more. I had one of these about two years ago, and I just didn't get the use out of it, really. Uh, You have to have a a year's subscription. And I, I remember going to a few... Uh, showings on nights and things like that but I just I just wasn't I was just too busy there was just too much going on with work and relationships and all kinds of things but part of my new resolve for this year has been to see more movies and review more movies not just on here uh, in this podcast but also on Cinema Chords and Letterboxd and a few of the other places that I frequent which you'll hear more about very soon but I thought I bought one today and I thought right I'm going to start as I mean to go on 
and I'd like to get through as many of the Oscar films that I've just talked about as possible before we get to the Oscars. So I thought I'd start with 12 Years a Slave. Went down to the river Jordan. And that servant that don't obey his lord shall be beaten with many stripes. That's scripture. The condition of your laborers, it's all wrong. They're my property. You say that with pride. I say it as fact. Speak! Man does how he pleases with his property. So you come here. I say come here! Days ago I was with my family in my home. Now you tell me all is lost. If you want to survive, do and say as little as possible. Well, I don't want to survive. I want to live. And what a good decision that was. Because you hear the word masterpiece bandied around quite a lot, don't you? You know, oh, that was amazing. That was a masterpiece. That was brilliant. It was wonderful. It was rah, rah, rah. And it's like, like the word genius. It's misplaced. People say that was genius. I say, I, I say these things myself. But the meaning of the word sometimes gets lost. But 12 Years a Slave is, in my opinion, a genuine, genuine masterpiece. The only film I've said that about recently is There Will Be Blood, which I saw a few years ago, and I would, I would hold that film up as being a masterpiece as well. When I say masterpiece, I'm talking about the films that will be highly regarded in decades. Not the films people will rave about for a while and then they'll fade away and then it'll be like, oh, oh yeah, that, that was quite good. I'm talking about the films like, like your Citizen Kane, your Casablancas, your Godfathers, the ones that people always will say, people who know film anyway, will always say, that is one of the best films ever made. And it's a very, very elite group of films. Very elite over the last 80 years. I genuinely would put 12 Years a Slave in that group now. Because this film got to me more than many films have in a long, long, long time. The idea basically is that it's uh, an adaptation of a, of a book written in the mid-19th century called 12 Years a Slave by a man called Solomon Northup, who was a nobleman in New York in, in about 1840. And he had a family, wife and children. And he was just a, a, a normal guy, you know, respected by his, by his community. And everything was, seemed okay. And then he gets basically conned. He's also an amazing violin player. And he gets conned by these two seemingly travelling musicians into playing a few, a few parties and things. Little realising they're actually working for slave traders and they're basically picking up black people and selling them into slavery in the deep south. And this is what happens to Solomon. This is what happens to Solomon. And the book is actually a memoir of what Solomon went through in, uh, in, that 12, in those 12 years where he, he was kidnapped, taken to the deep south and became a slave. And... Therefore, it's no like secret to reveal that he doesn't always end up a slave. And that doesn't really ruin the end, because to know that this was an adaptation of a book where he managed to write it after his time as a slave means that it's obvious that he's, you know, um, he eventually not, he's not a slave. But it's the story of what happens to him when he's a slave, which is the whole point. And it's one of the most affecting stories I think I've ever seen on film. Directed by Steve McQueen, who did a film called Shame, which to my shame I haven't watched yet. My friend has lent, lent me the Blu-ray. Goodness knows how long. I still need to give it back. 
Um, and I do, I, I do mean to watch that very soon now I've seen this film. Steve McQueen, who obviously shares the name of a very famous Hollywood actor of the past, is a, is a black guy. And I didn't actually realise that Steve McQueen was black until recently. And so obviously this film must really impact on him in a big way, as it would many black people. But it also impacts white people, anyone who genuinely feels that slavery is one of the great evils of the last, you know, of, of human civilization, as I do, to actually see it brought to life in such a, an unflinching and mesmerizing way like this is really moving and really powerful. And that's exactly what McQueen does. Apart from the fact it's, it's wonderful period detail of the mid 19th century when it's set, he manages to really bring out the real horror of of slavery, of of what Solomon and the people around him go through over these years. But it's but the, the core story is really one about survival. It's also about freedom, obviously, as all stories about slavery ultimately are. But this one really is about survival in the face of that. And quite what Solomon has to do and has to go through in order to survive when he's ripped away from his family. You know, he's a free he knows he's a free man in a time where not everyone was free. And Many of his, you know, his, his brethren of his skin colour aren't free. There's a great scene, actually, where it's very good because it does tie towards the into the end in, into a certain extent. But there's a scene where Solomon and his family go to this shop to buy some goods. And there's an awkward moment where a, a servant of a wealthy white man in the city, in the north of America, where, where Solomon lives comes in like because he's shocked that he's seen Solomon as a black man with his black family at, you know m- mingling with everybody else and he, he and he's uh, quite callous white owner comes in and tells him off and Solomon says there's no, nothing nothing to worry about but it's very awkward so there's traces of that racism in even in the north of the of the country and as opposed to what Solomon goes through it really it really highlights the fact that he is a free man and to go from that life to the life he ends up living for a long time is a massive shock to him. And man- But he manages to survive in the face of that, even knowing that he wasn't born into slavery and that he shouldn't be going through this and it's all been a real a real injustice. That's the beauty of the whole thing. You, f- you so want him, even though you know that ultimately he, he is rescued, you so want him to, to rise up always and you know conquer these people and i'm gonna get his name wrong again and chiwetel ejiofor as solomon is amazing amazing i personally want him to win best actor at the oscars because he his performance is unbelievable it's 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 possibly the performance of his career he's dignified he's solemn he's strong he's he's, he's vulnerable he's everything and he's so human and so emotional that you you are there with him every step of the way heart in mouth and it's very rare you get a protagonist like that in a film that you really are rooting for and by the time it's no secret to admit he does get his freedom I was absolutely in tears I, I, I was just destroyed by it all it's such a it's such a heartbreaking film in many ways and he is the the central core of it as is Michael Fassbender as the opposite because he plays the main slaver who um, keeps Solomon for years, and he's a pure monster. He's he's brilliantly evil, 
and but he's not one dimensional either. He's you know he's he's also very layered in that he's got a lot of he's very messed up and he's got this obsession with one of the black slave girls and he takes that on everybody else. He's got this really dysfunctional relationship with his wife. And Fassbender is such a good actor that he manages to make what could have been a very evil man, not sympathetic ever, but also someone with a bit more bit more to him and more dimension to him but he is he is playing a monster and it is incredible to see these two guys on screen whenever they're both on screen it's amazing equally there are some great cameos as well Paul Giamatti as a a particularly nasty slave trader Benedict Cumberbatch as a slaver who has a conscience basically and he's not in it for long I was surprised actually I didn't know he was in this and I did a bit of oh it's Cumberbatch uh, moment (laughs) I didn't say that out loud in the cinema but and so he's good, obviously. Even like uh, Brad Pitt shows up um, to play, in many ways, us really. That the modern day kind of enlightened human, really. Brad Brad Pitt plays, and it's not a massive role, but you do remember how good an actor Brad Pitt is. I've always said Brad Pitt's a good actor, but again, this is one of those films that proves it. So it's got a, it's got a great cast backing these guys up. So the acting is second to none, absolutely second to none. And but it's it's Steve McQueen's film really. He's he's the one who who makes it so he, the way he frames it, the way he shoots it, the the kind of solemn beauty of the whole thing is just it just transfixes you and it helps add to the emotion and the journey that Solomon goes on. But it's all so easy to understand as well, even though he does intersperse with flashbacks for the first half. It's it connects up really well. The script is phenomenal. It's just it's just almost. Well, it is. It is perfect. I genuinely cannot think of a criticism. I really can't think of a negative. It just had me transfixed for well over two hours. And again, it's rare that happens. I don't remember a point where I drifted off or got or looked at my looked at my phone or anything. I was just there, locked into this. You know, it doesn't really matter if it wins Oscars at the end of the day because Oscars are, 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 are a gimmick in a way. They don't really necessarily reflect reflect quality, but I think this does deserves beyond that to be applauded for years and years to come. It really does. As a truly great piece of cinema. Not a movie. You know, a movie is the Marvel films, it's Star Wars, it's Star Trek, it's all of these great, you know, but popcorn movies. Twelve Years a Slave is a is a film, it's cinema, it's a it's a it's a motion picture. And there should be some distinguishing between the two really, for anyone who does enjoy film. And I would genuinely say that this is this is the this is a required viewing experience for anyone who does want to see a genuine film and genuinely feel something when they when they leave the cinema and be shaken and feel like they've they've watched something important and something you know that really shines a light on on the issue of slavery on the 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 period of time it's set on a great deal of things so i cannot recommend 12 years of slave enough it it deserves to do a hell of a lot of money at the box office and is one of the best two and a little bit hours you will spend at the cinema or on Blu-ray or on DVD. So definitely give it a watch. I will survive. I will not fall into despair. I will keep myself hardy till freedom is opportune. Not 
So it's that time of year again, Oscar season. Today, the Oscar 2014 nominations were announced by uh, Chris Hemsworth, whose name is actually surprisingly difficult to say, and some other woman, I don't know who she was. But yeah, they were uh, all announced today, and I thought I'd discuss uh, some of them. Not all of them, because let's face it, when we get down to things like, you know, best midget foot, you know, we're not so interested, are we, really? Um, I'm just going to talk about the ones that are the big kahunas, really. Uh, script upwards into acting. And I'm going to go through all the nominations, and I'm going to tell you the ones I think will do it. And I <laughs> I don't necessarily expect to be that accurate with this, because as much as there's a certain predictability about the Academy and how it works, I tend to feel like I don't really know as much maybe about these kind of Oscar award films as I do about... I'd, I'd, have, I'd have a better job predicting the Razzies. <laughs> the... Uh, the the basically the shit Oscars for the for the worst films um, of the year. I'd probably be better off picking that because as you probably know by by now by about me or by listening to this podcast, I tend to watch more crap than I do genuinely good stuff. So you know I'll probably be way off with some of these predictions. Anyway, to kick off, let's just go down the list of of the amount of nominations that these films have had. There are, going from the bottom, there are five nominations apiece for The Wolf of Wall Street by Martin Scorsese and Her by Spike Jones. And then there are six between uh, Alexander Payne's Nebraska and, and Jean-Marc Vallée's Dallas Buyers Club. Oh, and Captain Phillips by Paul Greengrass. And then leaping up above is... Uh, nine nominations for Stephen Queen's 12 Years a Slave. And then finally, 10 nominations apiece for David O. Russell's American Hustle and Alfonso Cuaron's Gravity. Obviously, which are the... Those three are the big hitters, really. Those are the, those are the ones that are more than likely going to clean up over various different, you know, awards. But... So let's just scale back a little bit and go down to uh, screenplays, which is where I'll start. The nominations for Best Original Screenplay, uh, American Hustle, Blue Jasmine, Dallas Buyers Club, Her, and Nebraska, are all very interesting um, films. I've not actually... <laughs> I don't think I've watched any, bar one, of the films on this list <laughs> yet. So I'm going to go purely by gut reaction. I haven't read the scripts either. I'm going to go purely by gut reaction and... Uh, a little bit of a sense of, of what's hot and what's not and what's done well and, you know, the kind of Oscar bait that you get. I'm going to say, for Best Original Screenplay, I'm going to go with Her by Spike Jones because it's getting a lot of critical, you know, respect. It might be an outsider, but I'm going to go with that because people are saying that Her is a, a, a fantastically written film and, and a lot more than that. So... I'm going to hit that one for Best Original Screenplay. Best Adapted Screenplay is 12 Years a Slave, Before Midnight, Captain Phillips, Philomena and The Wolf of Wall Street. Now, I kind of want to say Philomena because I'd actually love to see Steve Coogan win an Oscar for, for some writing. But I don't think that he's going to get it. 
really. I, I think this one will, will go to 12 Years a Slave, to be honest, because I think 12 Years a Slave is going to do other business as well, but I get the feeling on the writing side of it, it's it's going gonna, it's gonna to clean up there. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go for that one. Next up, Best Supporting Actress. And the nominees are Sally Hawkins for Blue Jasmine, Jennifer Lawrence for American Hustle, Lupita Nyong'o, I've no idea if I've said that name right, for 12 Years a Slave, Julia Roberts for August Osage County, and June Squibb for Nebraska. Now, I've no idea who June Squibb is, so I don't know about that. Julia Roberts seems like a bit of an outsider. Lupita Nyong'o is a, he's probably the one who's going to get this. Uh, so I'm going to go with her. I want Jennifer Lawrence to win because I love her. I love everything about that woman. So I'd love it if she won. Absolutely love it if she won. I think Lupita is going to beat her just. I think it would be between those two, to be honest. Um, but I hope I'm wrong on that one. Best Supporting Actor. Uh, the nominations are Barkhad Abdi for Captain Phillips. Bradley Cooper for American Hustle. Michael Fassbender for 12 Years a Slave, Jonah Hill for The Wolf of Wall Street, and Jared Leto for Dallas Buyers Club. Now, Jonah Hill's a bit of a, a surprise, even to him, I think. That, that one's that took me a little bit um, by surprise. So I, I think he's a rank outsider. They, they do like giving awards to less famous, more worthy actors. So this Barkhad Abdi may, may be in with a shot. But then I tend to think this might come down to Coops and, and the Bender Boy. So uh, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with Bradley Cooper for this one. I suspect Michael Fassbender might win, but I don't know. I think I think American Hustle is gonna he's gonna do a few bit, bit bit of business as well. So I'm gonna say Bradley Cooper for best supporting actor. actor. Best actress. Uh, the nominations are Amy Adams for American Hustle, Kate Blanchett for Blue Jasmine. Sandra Bullock for Gravity, Judy Dench for Philomena, and Meryl Streep for August Osage County. Now, all of those, well, four of those are previous Oscar winners or very well known. Amy Adams is, for me, a bit of a rank outsider here. I, I, I think this is Bullock's. I think this has got Sandra Bullock written all over it, to be honest. Judy, Judy Dench and Meryl Streep both have got a good shot because they're, you know, the, the Oscars love them. And Kate Blanchett, but I think. I think Bullock's going to get this for Gravity. I really, really do. Best Actor. Um, this It's between Christian Bale for American Hustle, Bruce Dern for Nebraska, Leonardo DiCaprio for The Wolf of Wall Street, Chiwetel Ejiofor. Now, again, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I've said that name right. I don't know. Um, I should have looked it up. It would have taken me five minutes. I, I, I couldn't be bothered. Anyway, him for 12 Years a Slave or Matthew McConaughey for Dallas Buyers Club. Now, I I I think that Ejiofor should win this, but I've got a sneaky feeling that Matthew McConaughey is going to win this. I don't know why. I just do. I just think because he's he's had a bit of a career resurgence lately, and he's he's become a far more acclaimed actor than for years he was making all like crap rom coms with Jennifer Aniston. So I don't know. I, I I've got a feeling. I've got a feeling it could be him. So. I'm going to stick my neck out and say McConaughey on that one. Best Director, uh, Alfonso Cuaron for Gravity, Steve McQueen for 12 Years a Slave, Alexander Payne for Nebraska, David O. Russell for American Hustle, <laughs> that rhymes, 
and Martin Scorsese for The Wolf of Wall Street. Now, my goodness me, how do you choose between those five? I, this this is, I think, one of the strongest Oscar lineups for a long time, actually. And, you know, when you have to omit Paul Greengrass, for goodness sake, you know that it's been a damn strong year for films. This is really hard. I, I Personally, I think it's between Quaron and Steve McQueen. And I'm going to, again, stick my neck out and say Steve McQueen for 12 Years a Slave. I think simply because he'd be the first, as it pointed out to me recently, he'd be the first black director to win the Best Director Oscar, which would be amazing, which would be really, really cool. And, yeah, I think it's 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 got so much critical respect, I think. I think he's going to pip Quaron to the post just, and the rest of them, really, because they're all supposed to be very good films. And right now, the only one I have seen is The Wolf of Wall Street, so I'm going on, on faith with the others. I really need to watch more of them. And finally, Best Picture, the nominations are 12 Years a Slave, American Hustle, Captain Phillips, Dallas Buyers Club, Gravity, Her, Nebraska, Philomena, and The Wolf of Wall Street. So all films that have been featured pretty much all through this, it's, it's, it's between these, these nine, really. The whole Oscars really are. I think Gravity's going to get this. Gravity or 12 Years a Slave, I think. It's either going to go one way or the other. I think either Quaron's going to get the best director for Gravity and 12 Years a Slave will get best picture or the other way around. Um, I kind of want it to be this way around because I want Steve McQueen to win. So I kind of think Gravity will get best picture. Although it is sci-fi, so that could be the only... They don't like sci-fi very much, even though I know it's not traditional lasers, Star Wars-y sci-fi. It's a lot you know, more serious than that, but it is set in space. That could, for daft reasons, be the only thing against it. You know, I say this, American Hustle or The Wolf of Wall Street will probably win now. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I'm going to say I'm gonna say Gravity. I'm going to say Gravity. If not that, then I think 12 Years a Slave, but we'll see. But it's, it's, certainly, it's certainly an interest, very interesting lineup, And uh, I, I, don't, I can't remember for a long, long time wanting to see so many of these films on this list. Genuinely, because they all seem to be fab, they all seem to be really, really good. You know, quite a lot. You get some some films that are quite earnest and dull. You know, nominated for the, for Oscars, but for this this year, it seems to be a really, really good crop. So I am going to catch up and watch quite a few of these. Unfortunately, I've just missed American Hustle in the cinema. I meant to go, I didn't get a chance. I'm quite gutted about that, but I will catch it hopefully soon. And I miss Gravity as well. But I, I'm gonna I'm gonna try and get to see. Um, 12 Years a Slave soon, certainly, you know, so yeah, those are my predictions, we'll revisit this uh, when the Oscars uh, are on, which is I think a very start of March, and uh, in, in a podcast in a, in a good few weeks, we'll come back to this and, and we'll talk about the, the winners, and we'll see how right or wrong, more probably wrong, I was, so um, to be continued. Time to wait. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Just back into film then for the finish. And I've actually managed to go and see... Uh, a film I thought I'd missed, one of the Oscar frontrunners that I thought had disappeared from cinemas, but I think has been given an extra lease of life simply because it's stand for Best Picture and a few Best Actor nods. I went to see American Hustle. Everybody thought, oh, Richie DeMasso was going to stay in the office. I'm outside on the field. I got people working for me. My ideas. I'm running the show. I'm the quarterback and I'm not going to settle. It's not for me to say. He wasn't necessarily in good shape and he had this comb over that was rather elaborate. He had this confidence that drew me to him. My father, he taught me to believe that all people were good and to be good to all people. Life is ridiculous. And you know that I would never say anything bad about your father in front of you, but your father is a sick son of a bitch. Daddy's a sick son of a bitch. Don't repeat that. But yes. Now, I've been looking forward to American Hustle for quite some time after seeing promotional pictures and hearing bits about uh, the plot and also, obviously, the fact it's got some fabulous actors of our generation, some of the best actors, in fact, of our generation, some of the best youngest actors of our generation. And it's been uh, on my to-watch list, directed by David O. Russell, who's been quite an interesting director over his, his career. He hasn't done that many films, and I confess I haven't watched all of his movies, but I remember his 90s uh, film Spanking the Monkey to be very edgy. I think that was about incest, if I remember rightly. Um, and that was quite an edgy drama uh, Three Kings, in which he, he it was all about Iraqi gold, and it was uh, quite dark in places with uh, George Clooney back in the 90s. Very controversial um, film in some ways at the time. And his, his best one for me so far has been The Fighter, uh, which had cre- an emaciated Christian Bale um, playing the, the brother of uh, Mark Wahlberg's Pugilist. And that had Amy Adams in it as well, who's also in American Hustle, and she was excellent in that. Uh, and the fighter altogether, even though you, even if you don't, even if you're not a fan of boxing, the fighter is a is a really really good film, um, a terrific drama. But American Hustle is is something completely different altogether, um, and it's one of those films that I almost 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 came close to loving, but I just couldn't quite get there. I just couldn't quite get there. I couldn't make that quite this quite connection. And I think the reason is that, well, basically, just to, to explain what it is, it's, it's set in the 1970s. It, the first thing you see on the screen is some of this happened once. I think that's what it says. It's a, it's a disclaimer. 
you know, like the sort of normally you get, this is based on a true story, true story. This starts with some of this happened once, which immediately means we're not in completely accurate biopic territory at all. Basically, Russell has taken uh, events in the 70s and to do with a sting with the FBI. And he's, he's, he's basically made a crime fable, for want of a better term. That's what American Hustle really is. It's a crime fable that's also quite an intense love story, for better or worse. Um, uh, and with elements of drama and everything like that. So it's, it's certainly not real. It's not realistic. There's a certain strange kind of hyper-reality almost to it in a way. But it's ostensibly about Christian Bale's uh, con artist, this portly guy in his in his forties with with stick on hair because he, he pretend he wears a toupee, who he's a grifter and he basically falls madly madly in love with Amy Adams' um, girl looking to change her life. The small town girl comes to New York, tries to make it big, meets uh, Christian Bale falls in love with his, his confidence and his, his machismo and becomes a grifter with him. And they become grifters and they're doing brilliantly. They're making a few quid. They're not high-rise or anything. But then Bradley Cooper turns up as one of their marks, in inverted commas, turns out to be an FBI agent undercover who's been after um, the grifting side of it. And because he's basically got Amy Adams over a barrel, they he says, right, well, you, I'll, get you, I'll get you both out of this, but you've got to help me take down some people. And so they, they kind of become grifters working for the FBI, working for Bradley Cooper's FBI agent. Um, and then you've also got Jennifer Lawrence's Christian Bale's um, wife, who's uh, a bit of a, on edge, a bit of a loose cannon. Uh, and ultimately just escalates and escalates and escalates from Christian Bale and Amy Adams being this quite sweet little grifting team almost to just getting themselves deeper and deeper into this whirlwind of, Corruption, bribery, mobsters, gangsters, congressmen, mayors, everything. And it just escalates and escalates and spirals and spirals and spirals. And inevitably, things really, really get difficult. But the thing with it is, and the, the, the reason that it didn't, I couldn't quite fall in love with it, is because it felt really like it was, it, it was trying constantly to impress. It was, it was one of those films that, that feels like it's always dancing for your attention. It's always trying to throw something sexy at you, you know, whether it's Amy Adams smouldering in a role that I, I, I'm not entirely convinced she's great in. You know, she's been got she's got a, a, a best uh, actress nomination at the Oscars, and I'm not entirely sure that she should have done because it's a it, her role is basically to to be sultry and to you know to be sultry but with this layer of vulnerability and. She's she's hot. Don't get me wrong. She's very hot, and there are times when she seriously was giving me a man boner. I'll be honest. But is she a great actress? No, I don't think so. And I didn't fully get her chemistry with, with Christian Bale. She had much better chemistry with Bradley Cooper. Um, I felt. Uh, but you know, it was throwing Amy Adams at the screen. It was throwing you know Russell really kind of tries to shoot it with a it, this really kind of almost like I say hyper real kind of sensationalist camera where, you know, he's, he's constantly swooping into their face, you know, when they're, make, when they're saying something or he's, he's flipping things about or he's throwing a, a really, admittedly, it's got a fantastic 70s soundtrack and he's throwing tunes at us or he's getting Jennifer Lawrence to angrily sing Live and Let Die and stuff like that. And that, that's great and everything, but it just feels like it's trying to dance for us. It's trying to 
trying to keep us on our toes. But in reality, it's it's hiding this this undercoat of the fact that it's not really as clever as it thinks it is. It, the script isn't really as as awesome as I think Russell wants us to believe. And in fairness to the actors, they actually do. I think they make the whole film better, most of them. Because as much as I mentioned the chemistry, I don't think it's there between Amy Adams and Christian Bale. All four of the main actors are really good. There's no doubt about that. Christian Bale's quite, quite, you know, subdued and, you know, slow moving and and almost aging in his role. Um, with moments of that anger that he's got, that that under, undercurrent of anger, and he, he's quite subdued almost. It's Bradley Cooper who really surprised me because he. He plays a really kind of unhinged FBI agent in many ways. There's, there's that element of charm that Bradley Cooper's good at, you know, that, that face from the A-team kind of charm. But it's, the, but it's far more there's this hyperactive, you know, obsessive guy who is just really caught up in this, in this determination to, to take down all these, these mobsters and these criminals and everything like that. And he becomes... Um, he becomes he becomes really really on edge, and when Bradley Cooper lets that switch flick, he's actually very very good. Um, I actually really think he, he he kind of deserves that best supporting actor nod now. Um, he doesn't deserve the award, you know. Michael Fassbender deserves deserves the Oscar, but he deserves the nod. Um, Amy Adams, as I say, she's not bad or anything, but I don't think she's particularly brilliant. But she smoulders at the screen. Jennifer Lawrence is better now. I, I do have a, I do have a bias towards Jennifer Lawrence because I actually think she's possibly one of the most amazing people, amazing women in the, in the history of the world. You know, she's just she's just awesome, both on and off camera. Um, but I think she's better. I think she's a better actress for a start. She's as sexy when it's when called for, and the character she's playing is a lot trickier than Amy Adams' character because she has to play this ostensibly downtrodden, trapped wife, but also somebody who causes a hell of a lot of problems for Christian Bale in, in terms of the story. Um, so she has to flicker between being quite sort of, you know, uh, if not mousy, then frustrated, and then being quite sultry. And it's, it's very good. It's very good. Uh, and it's, it's just a shame she doesn't have more scenes with Amy Adams, really, because the one they do have is, is, is great. Um, so, you know, they're all good. There's also a, a nice little um, cameo from Robert De Niro, which, in which, in which he, he, he feels like old Robert De Niro a little bit. That they, you know, it's a great scene, and that old kind of fucking mean, scary, quiet Robert De Niro is back a little bit, and that's great. That was great to see, and I didn't know he was in it. Um, but it's, you know, it's, it's not, it's not a serious film though either. It's, it's got this, it's got this real. I mean, Louis Louis C.K.'s in it playing Bradley Cooper's FBI boss, and there's this, there's this running gag about, and there's this running gag about ice fishing and about uh, Louis uh, Louis C.K. He's trying to tell Bradley Cooper this this moral this this morality tale about ice fishing about his brother, and it's this running gag that he never quite gets to finish the story. Um, and so there's this, there's this real black comedy underneath. But the audience I was in, it was strange because it felt like the, all not, not all the jokes were quite hitting home, you know, and it felt like there was a lot of comedy there that that didn't that wasn't quite sitting well with the. You know, the fact that it wanted to be quite sleek and sexy and cool. And at the same time, you got the feeling that David O. Russell wanted to make it almost a little bit tongue in cheek and a little bit, um, a little bit silly in places and, and irreverent. And it, it, it didn't quite gel. It, I was laughing. There were times when I was laughing, but it, it didn't quite all fuse together in the way that it should have done. However, when it's, 
when it's really good, it's really good. It looks great. It's it's very it's very seventies period, and it works. You know, even though Bradley Cooper and Christian Bale both look ridiculous, <laughs> it kind of works. Um, and like I say, it's it's got a, it's got a great soundtrack. It's sassy. The direction is is different, and I'm I. I don't know. I still don't know if I completely like David O. Russell as a director all the time, um, and you know it's kind of, it kind of flickers for me. Uh, and you know the, the story is the story is relatively cool. I don't think it needed to be this long. I don't think it needed to be two hours and change. I I think the script again tries to be too clever by half. It tries to disguise the fact that its its actors are are playing better than, than what is on the page, but it's it's sassy. It is sexy. It is hot. It is, it is, it is, it is enjoyable. But it's not a great. It's not a classic. It's, it's not. It's to refer to the Oscars again. It's not an Oscar. It's not an Oscar-winning film for me, really. It will win Oscars. I don't think it's particularly good enough to win Oscars. But that's not to say it's certainly not worth seeing. It is worth seeing. It's a good film. It's, it, it's worth your time, and it's worth going to see. But. It's it's not David O. Russell's best film. It's not Christian Bale's best film. It's probably not. Well, it might it might be Amy Adams' best film. <laughs> you know, this is a woman who did Leap Year and Man of Steel. You know, she's got a lot of good she needs to do now um, to make up for those. So you know, this uh, it, it's it's not a classic, but it it's good. Although maybe not quite as great as I hoped. And not a, a film I wanted desperately to just feel complete love. For and I didn't quite get there. We gotta get over on all these guys. That's what we need to be thinking about right now. We gotta get over on all these guys. It's gotta be the best we've ever done. That was the first episode then of Black Hole Cinema. Thank you for listening to this re-review. I don't know how best to put it really, how, how the best to put it. These are obviously things if you heard the original Black Hole series that was on across January, then you will have heard these reviews before. Thank you for listening to them again. Normal service or new service perhaps will be resumed from the next episode, which will see reviews of more new movies. Hopefully ones that are even fresher than these Oscar contenders. And then we'll be getting on with Black Hole Cinema as a complete entity with hopefully a few things along the way. Extra, as apart from reviews, which uh, I'm going to be thinking about looking into. So yeah, thank you for listening. Remember to visit www.thecompassnet.com and post what any thoughts you have on the episode there in the forum. You can find me on Tony underscore O underscore Black on Twitter. And please tell me if you think it's any good or what you think of the films or anything, anything you want to say that isn't rude, obviously, uh, or offensive. Not that I'm sure you would be. So, yeah, thank you again for listening, and we'll see you next time. Hold up. 
hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.